This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Your war room for insider news and draft analysis from deep within the confines of Cowboys headquarters at the Star in Frisco. The Dallas Cowboys select T.D. Lamb. And now, your hosts, Dane Brugler, Jeff Cavanaugh, Kevin Turner, and Kyle Yeomans. It's a whole new Thursday edition of the Draft Show from our virtual SWBC Mortgage Studios. Chris Beam running things at the Mothership back at the Star in Frisco. But we are ready to break down one, what has been really kind of a crazy 12 hours for the NFL as Urban Meyer is back in the fray as a head coach, as he's going or at least finalizing a deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, by the way, have the first pick in the uh, NFL Draft. Then, Kellen Moore apparently being requested for an interview for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm apparently broadcasting from the mountains now, which is something that is different for all of us. But, hey, it, it's the official draft season, and anything can happen. So we are glad to be with you here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Kyle Yeomans, Dane Brugler, Jeff Cavanaugh, and Kevin K.T. Turner with you, as always. This crew every Thursday at 10 a.m. But, Dane, it really has been a crazy couple of hours throughout the NFL and really the college football season now in the rearview mirror. It's crazy to think about, but hey, it's draft season officially. I know you've been in draft season for quite some time. We all have been, but officially for everyone, it's draft season at this point with college football season now being over with. Yeah, and it's an interesting point in the year because there's a lot of hirings and firings going on, uh, type of thing that will shape how draft weekend plays out. Um, you know, both with the Cowboys and around the NFL. Uh, you know, these, whether it's assistant coaches, head coaches, it, you know, the new faces, the new names, that plays a part in how the draft uh, will play out. So it, it's certainly something to pay attention to. We're only, uh, what, a week and a half away from the Senior Bowl. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the Combine. So there's still a lot up in the air with what this draft season is going to look like. Uh, but it, it, it's going to make that more challenging, but all, all the more reason to kind of talk through it on this platform and kind of have fun with it. Jeff, are you excited? Is there a little extra excitement whenever it comes to the fact that, hey, there's you're kind of getting closer to these big events like the Senior Bowl? Of course, the Combine's a bit on the horizon still, but is there a little added emphasis and maybe even anxiousness for you as a guy who covers the draft, but also maybe even a little bit for these front offices? Uh, I, I mean, this year is just so much different. I, I, like, I don't even know. I don't know what the Senior Bowl is going to look like. We don't know if there's going to be a combine or what that's going to look like. But yeah, it's always it's always fun. It's always exciting to get closer to it because I think the Senior Bowl it can be so important to players in terms of if you're a small school guy and what you can prove to NFL teams, or if you're considered a third day of the draft guy and you're going up against guys who are considered better than that and you kick their butt all week. Uh, I always I love the Senior Bowl. The Combine's great, but I love the Senior Bowl because I think guys can make money at the Senior Bowl. So I'm excited about that. KT, you got that anxiousness too a little bit with a crazy offseason like this? You know, for me, I think it's more in the realm of, uh, you know, draft season's always pretty hot and heavy. It's, it's when someone like uh, a national pundit like Dane Brugler <laughs> ignores the uh, no fireworks sign and is like, you know what? Here's some snakes and sparklers and black cats. Here's my mock draft too. <laughs> like that's all you need is that's enough to get you to get you going and, and get you get the juices flowing a little bit. So uh, you see it, you can't stop looking at it and, and thinking about how you might do it. And maybe you're doing uh, mock draft simulators online and thing, things like that. Uh, that's that's to me where it kind of I get more anxious for that. I guess I would say I'm more of a day to day guy than uh, okay. what event is going to happen in February because I don't know. That's a good point, and really that's probably the best way to go about it right now in this offseason is day-to-day whenever it comes to the draft process. But you mentioned Dane's mock draft. We're going to get to that coming up here in a little bit. We're going to talk about how Dane's mock draft on The Athletic, you should go and read it, look through all of it. Really fantastic work from Dane as always. But it, it, it did provide a little bit of a spark and something that was interesting, especially for the Cowboys. Uh, and we're going to talk about it in a moment. But I do want to talk about the rumors surrounding Kellen Moore since we are the first show for DallasCowboys.com that has uh, been on air since at least these rumors surfaced about an hour and a half before we went live here. But, Jeff, when it comes to the Cowboys and Kellen Moore, I mean, this is a guy that last week or two weeks ago we were talking about maybe taking 
taking the Boise State job. He elects to stay here, gets an extension, a big extension at that, and now he's apparently being rumored. If you're Kellen Moore, one, do you go and interview for the job? And two, what should you feel like if you're a Cowboys fan right now? Well, I think there's only so many opportunities to be a head coach in the NFL. So if Kellen Moore has an opportunity to interview for it, I would go take it. I couldn't imagine that, one, the Eagles would actually offer their head coaching job to somebody who would be a first-time head coach that's still kind of young as a coordinator. I couldn't imagine that they would actually offer him the job. And if I believed in myself and I was Kellen Moore, I wouldn't want that job either because I think the Eagles opening is an absolute train wreck right now between where they are with the cap, all their old guys on that roster that are locked in for years. Like, I don't, that, that, you don't know who your quarterback is or you're just hoping that Carson Wentz can become a good quarterback again. So I think one, the Eagles, I'd be shocked if they didn't offer their job to somebody with head coach experience or at least more coordinator experience. And two, if I'm Kellen Moore, I don't want that job because I think it's a setup. I don't think it's gonna go well. Katie. Yeah, no, no, there's two answers because the important thing in the story is requested permission. So there's two answers that the Jones family has. Number one is, no, we're good. Uh, (laughs) And then number two is, do you think, Kellen, we could send you on this mission and you could find the deep, dark secrets inside the Philadelphia facility? Can you find out what Roseman and Lurie are uh, are up to? It's more of that type of thing if you send Kellen. You, you just don't let him have that interview. He signed the contract, so he's got to get permission. Um, you know, unless, unless you want to look like a good guy and say, go chase your dreams and get the job. But I, I feel like I feel like this is – it was a very odd thing to just come up out of nowhere. I will say this, though. Philadelphia might just be the team that's like, you know what, there's enough – there's enough steam, uh, smoke and steam around, uh, you know, Kellen Moore and, and, and his future as a coach. They might, I think they might offer him the job if, if they've yeah. got him in for an interview. I don't know if he's their number one candidate, but I, I don't think it's, it's crazy to think that. But the answer, if you're the Cowboys, is no, you're not going to interview for that job. We just signed you to a deal, dude. Now, since it's a head coaching job, it, can't Kellen Moore go on his own? Or is that a flip-flop if you are a head coach? I don't know the rules. Yeah, I don't I think, think it, they can't stop them. Yeah, from, I think oh, if it's no. a coaching job. If it's a promotion like that. but And if you're Kellen Moore, it's good experience. Go in the interview. You know, no I, I, I think if you're the Eagles, it makes sense because you've seen what that offense has done with Dak Prescott. Uh, you know, you know, Jalen Hurts might be your future. There's some parallels there with those two quarterbacks. Maybe, you know, you can, you can learn some, a few things. And so it's an interesting... You know, interdivision, uh, you know, relationship that is, uh, I think, you know, if you're Kellen Moore, you have to take, you have to go on that interview, I think. Uh, it's good experience. And if you're the Eagles, you can get some information. So it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I edited out the last two minutes of what I said. And, um, <laughs> and uh, that's why I did the draft. I don't know the coaching rules. That's okay. That's how, that's how we roll here. But I think it is interesting. I mean, hey, maybe they're trying to steal Dak Prescott. It, not just, hey, it's a it's a thing about Jalen Hurts and, and how he does line up with Dak Prescott. Maybe they're trying to steal Dak. Who knows? We'll, we'll see how that kind of ends up rolling. But I don't think it'll ultimately turn into much, but I wouldn't be against Kellen Moore at least going and, and interviewing. That's great experience. And a guy who, like, like you said, uh, Jeff, initially, there's only a certain amount of head coaching jobs and opportunities to be a head coach. Why not take at least a shot at one of them. Now, let's get into that two-round mock draft that Dane put out on The Athletic. Go check it out, as always. But starting things off, we're going to go through kind of the top nine and talk through some of the highlights early on. Three quarterbacks in the first four picks uh, right up at the top. Of course, Trevor Lawrence going number one overall to Clemson, or excuse me, to Jacksonville out of Clemson. Then you've got the Jets taking Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU. Devontae Smith is the first wide receiver and non-quarterback off the board. He goes to the Miami Dolphins at three. Fields from Ohio State goes to the Falcons. And then it goes Sewell. Jamar Chase to the Eagles at 6. Micah Parsons to the Lions at 7. Carolina takes Trey Lance, the fourth quarterback, off the board. And then the Denver Broncos steal Kayla Farley at 9, right before the Cowboys go at 10. But, Dane, I want you to introduce the Cowboys pick at number 10 in your mock draft because I think it's one that's very interesting and an intriguing thought process whenever that day in April comes around. Well, of course, Cowboys fans were unanimous in their love for this pick. Um, no, actually, they weren't. Uh, I went with Rashawn Slater, uh, offensive tackle, Northwestern, and you know, I 
first off, I want to say, look, mock drafts, especially now in January, it's about scenarios. It's not about this is who they're absolutely going to take or this is who they should take. It's about laying out the scenarios. And when you look at the Cowboys, I think Rashawn Slater is the perfect fit for what they need. Uh, he's a guy that can step in and play guard right away. He can step in and play left tackle, right tackle. You, it gives you a long-term plan uh, for life after Tyron uh, at left tackle. So you have so much position flexibility. And I, I feel like that it gets thrown around a lot. He has realistic position versatility where he can play tackle or guard. Um, and they're just he can step in from day one. He's NFL ready technique-wise, timing-wise, discipline-wise. So uh, I think there's a lot going for Rashawn Slater that where you plug him into that offensive line, and that fixes a lot of issues. Now, there are some Cowboys fans that will say, well, if it's not defense, I, I don't want to hear about it. You know, it, just, it doesn't make any sense. And I get that. My, something I'll say in defense of the pick is it's not easy to find offensive linemen outside the first round. Uh, I think it's a lot easier to find linebackers, even a corner. Uh, Trevon Diggs last year. Uh, I think it's easier to find guys in the secondary uh, it's easier on day two compared to an offensive lineman, especially a premier offensive lineman. So I think there would be a lot of Cowboys fans that would balk at picking Slater, especially over a guy like Sertan out of Alabama. But I, I think that it's at least a conversation that the Cowboys need to have in terms of impact potential for how they can help this offense and gives them a plan for how to attack uh, the defense on day two. I think it makes a lot of sense, but Jeff, whenever there's a guy like Sertan on the board, you have every DT on the board, and there's guys like that, Does how much pause does it give you going with the offensive side of the football, or does this pick make that much sense in order to make it a reality if it were to come to fruition? I, to me, it makes all the sense in the world, so I have no hesitation if they were to make a pick like that, even with the board looking exactly like it did, because I was looking at this the other day, you're still counting on on the Cowboys offensive line. We talk about everything that's invested in it, but the guys who are still carrying your offensive line were drafted in the 2011 and the 2014 draft. So a decade ago and seven years ago, that Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. If you have the opportunity in the top ten to pick a guy that you love that's going to be a part of extending the run of having a really good offensive line, then you pick him. If you think Rashawn Slater is a better prospect than Patrick Sertan, then you pick him. Uh, if you think Patrick Sertan is a better prospect than Rashawn Slater, then you pick him. You know, I, I would just pick, look, you're in the top ten. Don't screw the pickup. Whichever guy you think is a better player, they're going to help your team. They're going to get on the field. They're going to play. In Sertan's case, it would be as a starter, as a corner. In Slater's case, it would be as a starter at either left guard or left tackle or wherever. Um, so, I, you know, you pick the best player. I get it. You want defense. There's also trading. There's free agency. There's uh, six more rounds in the draft. You pick the best player. You're in the top ten. And I agree with Jeff. Look at a couple things. Tyron has missed multiple games the last yep. few years. And the type of injury he has is a little jarring. Lyle Collins, obviously, the type of injury he has with a hip, I don't like hip injuries on my offensive tackles, right? So that's something to keep in mind. I think another thing to keep in mind that I liked what Dane did with this scenario is there's two good things that happened here. Or there's one of two things that happened here when you're picking at 10. In this case, four quarterbacks go before pick 10, pushing position players down. The thing that might be more alluring, and I know it is to cap trade down, would be if maybe that fourth quarterback made it to 10 because, mm. man, I was looking at the 14 playoff teams. Man, four of them might need new quarterbacks. Colts, Steelers maybe, uh, Washington, yeah. Chicago. I mean, there are teams who are picking 19 and up, and that's without looking at 11 to 18. There are teams yeah. picking 19 and up who might want to get up to 10 and start developing Trey Lance or if Fields falls or whatever happens there. So having that quarterback stay could be beneficial to the Cowboys. But overall, I do not disagree. I think the Cowboys front office, too, might have a little bit of, I don't want to say Connor Williams regret, because it's not like Connor Williams is a, is a bust, but comparatively to their first-round hits, that's a pretty recent thing in their head. Like, hey, this second-rounder we drafted is okay, but, man, what if we knocked out a really good top-flight offensive lineman at 10? It's something I think this front office might think about. Where do you guys feel about 
about Rashawn Slater and what he brings as a prospect, Dane, because I know there's a lot of tackles that are kind of in that second-round prospect, kind of like maybe what we saw from Connor Williams, and I don't want to bring up Texas just for the, the fact of bringing up Texas, but there is a guy like Samuel Cosme that'll probably be there in the second. I mean, Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, Christian Derisaw for Virginia Tech, who's a pretty solid tackle that I know we've already talked about on this show. There are other tackles, but why Slater above all of those guys up at number 10. Well, and like I stated earlier, I, I think that it's just easier to find tackles in the first. I mean, if you're, you're hoping one of those tackles falls to you in the second, I mean, maybe they will, but I mean, there's a reason they, they, they fell that far. You know, and so many teams are tackle starved in the league, and so there's a reason they're available uh, in the second round, and that should give you a little bit of pause. But I think when you, specifically Rashawn Slater, I, I mean, when you break down his tape, and, and you know, he doesn't have that elite size, but he's agile, he's stout, uh, he's power-packed, uh, he doesn't allow rushers to go through him. Uh, he, he's very, what I love most about Rashawn Slater is he is so quick to lock up pass rushers before they can do anything, before they can set up their moves. So he doesn't stray from his fundamentals. He's smart, technically sound. Um, I, I just everything says that he, this guy's a future starter. Now, he's going to get dinged throughout the process because his arms are going to be about 32 and uh, three quarters. And so he's going to not hit that 33-inch threshold that a lot of teams have. But, you know, when you watch his film, you can't help but think, you know, he can overcome that no problem. And plus, you have to factor, you're going up against Chase Young twice a year. We saw Rashawn Slater go up against Chase Young uh, last year when Ohio State yeah. faced Northwestern. And turned out uh, Slater was the only tackle that could on the college level that could even remotely slow him down. So that has to give you a little bit of optimism moving forward. I love that pick, but whenever you look at the the current state of this offensive line, and you've got a couple tackles out, and of course, you're, you're, I think long term you want them to be your left tackle, you want them to be your Tyron Smith replacement. But KT, uh, would Slater play guard first? Would he be at left guard initially? Is it just the versatility that you're excited about because he could come in and play immediately at guard, and then ultimately move out to one of the tackle spots whenever you needed him? I just feel like that's one of those things I can have a better answer for you, and you know, in March or April, because mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I, to me, it's flip a coin that Tyron Smith is on this team next year. I mean, 50-50. Wow. whether it's retirement, whether it's cap casualty or whatever. I, I, I don't necessarily 100% think he's here next year, um, and you know, we'll see. That, that's all going to play out. Uh, I'm going to find a way to get him on the field. He's my number 10 pick, though. He will be starting uh, for me. He's not a developmental guy. He's ready to go. You know, Dane mentioned Chase Young twice a year. Uh, how about uh, you guys watch the Bills a little bit, see A.J. Epinesa f- flash a little bit? He handled yep. A.J. Epinesa at Iowa back in 2019 as well. I mean, Slater's ready to go. Um, I know he didn't play in 2020. That's the one question mark you might have is what does he look like now? What has he done? KT. And everything you hear about him is he's a great dude, um, and he's in he's in control of his body, all that stuff. Like he's good to go. KT, here here's your assignment. Uh, Rashawn's working out in Frisco right now, mm-hmm. uh, so oh. just hop in the car. Need you to <laughs> sneak in, I, get some footage, see what the body's looking like, see how because I know I, I talked to his trainer uh, and he's working out at guard and center. So getting used to the body movement. So I need you to get a little bit of footage of that. See how he's doing. Uh, that, that's your assignment, all right? All right. See you later. Yeah, I mean, if KT wants to go and just get it done. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. But, Jeff, do you feel like that's a, a realistic uh, expectation is to, to be able to come in and play guard initially and do it successfully against a, a division that at least really the strengths of the teams, even though there may not be uh, very strong teams, the front sevens are pretty stout. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why um, I think it it his name there makes a lot of sense because of everything that Dane is talking about. I think Rashawn Slater versus Panay Sewell is a great debate at playing tackle. That's how good I think his tape is at tackle. Now, the fact that people are going to consider him at guard and center, it's just to me it's just extra because if you're comparing his tackle tape to say Christian Derisaw or Elijah Vera Tucker or pick the names of other guys that you like that could be first round mm-hmm. picks. Rashawn Slater's got better tape. He's the better player. And he's a guy that people are going to project to be a, and it's it's almost like a if you can play left tackle, you play left tackle. So 
Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of teams are kind of projecting it to like, well, I don't know if he can play left tackle, so he can do this. And they're going to feel like, but he's going to be an all-pro guard, or he's going to be an incredible guard. Um, yeah, but he's a better tackle prospect than the other tackles you could take in the first round. So that's why he makes sense, because I'm planning for him to be my left tackle forever. But if he has to play guard, I think he's going to be awesome at it. I hope that's the case. I hope that's something that the Cowboys could look at moving into uh, the draft process, and hopefully we get some insight from KT here after this first commercial break on how uh, how Slater's body's working. He looks great. He's in great shape. He's doing oh, well. Wow. Good. Oh, draft good. him up. Okay. I know. You got in and out pretty quick. That was fantastic. Uh, some other notes from the mock draft from uh, Dane Brugler, of course, but uh, I thought it was interesting. One pick after the Cowboys took Slater, Kyle Pitts, the tight end for Florida, flies off the board, and he goes straight to division rival New York uh, as the Giants pick him up. And then San Francisco, the pick right after that, takes Patrick Sertan, the cornerback out of Alabama. So two guys that at least have been thought about around the Cowboys have uh, flown off the board one pick and two picks right afterwards. Dane, is that another thing that was kind of interesting? Is You could have gone offense in a couple ways. You could have gone offensive tackle, but you also still had Kyle Pitts on the board there. Yeah, and you know, I definitely considered it there at 10. Um, you know, you look at it, Michael Gallup, he's entering a contract year. Uh, is it realistic you're going to be able to re-sign him when you've got, you know, Amari with his contract and you eventually are thinking you're going to re-sign CD Lamb and, you know, maybe Kyle Pitts can slide in there and, you know, really serve as a wide receiver for you. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts, I think when you when you stack the players in this draft, good luck trying to find five players better than him. You know, just talent-wise. <laughs> He's that good. Um, it's just more about how does he project to your offense? Do you have the creativity and the understanding of his strengths to implement his skills? Not every offensive coordinator is going to be up to that. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's going to be a terrific weapon wherever he ends up. The Giants, I, I think that makes sense. They're missing that playmaker. Uh, he can be a Plaxico Burris for them. He could be that playmaker for them. So I think it makes sense, uh, even though Giants fans are a little... Uh, a little gun shy after uh, Evan Ingram has kind of been a disappointment uh, after being a first-round pick, and then Sertan, you know, he was the other consideration uh, there for the, for the Cowboys at ten, and I, you know, he had a, a good national championship performance. Uh, didn't see a lot of targets his way. Uh, I, I thought, uh, you know, he there, there were some open moments. Fields just didn't see him. Uh, the receiver that uh, Sertan was covering. Uh, I, I think when he runs in the four fives, that's when we're going to hear a lot about, okay, is he fast enough to go top 10 and this and that. And that's going to be a topic, uh, a topic that's, you know, we're going to talk to death here. But uh, there's, there's no more NFL-ready corner in this draft than Patrick Sertan. I'm interested about that, and, and I, I know, Jeff, you kind of knocked Sertan for that as well, potentially being a, a slower 40, right? Yeah, and it not in a. It's weird because when you start talking about guys that might go in the top ten, and you mention the things that you have concerns about, you turn into a guy who hates the player. Um, Patrick Sertan's a really, really good prospect, but yeah, I, I just I wonder like when they got down to the goal line there, and I think it was Garrett Wilson, they kind of yep. gave him a little hesitation and ran a fade. If Fields sees that, throws that, it's an easy touchdown. And that's just, that's my one thing about Patrick Sertan is how do you match up with guys that are shifty, nuanced route runners in man coverage? I think he's a really good prospect. I, I have questions about that aspect because I just don't know how fast and quick he is. He's really, really good and I'd love to have him on the team, but those are my questions. The, the answer is hire a new defensive coordinator and run a lot of cover three. Oh, because really? I do think he's pretty perfect for that with what they're moving to with a lot of cover three and Dan Quinn and Patrick Sertain is going to be pretty ideal for that mm -hmm. Richard Sherman did pretty good with his four six something 40 and a cover three for his career not comparing the two by the way I don't want anyone to to freak <laughs> out or anything but I think I think Sertain makes a lot of sense in a cover three type situation KT's looking ahead on the rundown a little bit. We're going to talk about that coming oh, up here in this next segment. No, it was good. No, it was good. It was a perfect analysis there, KT. Uh, final highlight that I thought I had from the from the mock draft, but uh, Christian Barmore, the first defensive tackle off the board, Man. he goes off the board at 25. And, I mean, he's, uh, I think, a fantastic player. He showed out again in the national championship game, and he just looks like a game-changer, Dane. But, Dane, was there a pick maybe after the Cowboys that was your favorite fit of the 
draft. I don't want to really talk top ten. I'm, I'm talking pretty much anything after that. But was there anything that stuck out to you as this is the perfect fit? Because I thought Barmore was pretty perfect there. Oh, yeah, I think that, that certainly fits. I mean, there were a couple. I mean, Christian Derrissaw to the Chargers. I mean, they need to protect Justin Herber. I thought that was a great fit. Uh, Jalen Waddle to the Patriots. Uh, we don't know what's going on at quarterback there, but we know they need playmakers, and Jalen Waddle is certainly a playmaker. Um, you know, I, I thought there were definitely a few. Uh, uh, you mentioned Barmore. Uh, Barmore is interesting because he is only a redshirt sophomore. He hasn't officially declared yet, so we have to wait on that official decision. Um, but you know, he—you could tell the, the second half of the year. He's just getting better and better and better. There's so much potential there, so much ability that by the time the draft gets here, we might be talking about Barmore as a possibility at, at, at number ten because he's just mm. so talented um, of a player. And so Barmore is definitely a name to keep an eye on. There's two really unfair ones that Dane had on there. Chris Olave going to the Saints, another oh, Ohio man. State guy across from Michael Thomas. Mm. And, man, Kadarius Tony from Florida, the wide receiver, to the Chiefs. Come on, man. Can yeah, the league have one. a chance? <laughs> Give us well, a chance. I, I also like Najee Harris to the Bucks. I mean, Bruce Arians, he is desperately wanting that pass catching back. Uh, Leonard Fournette's kind of filling that role this year, but uh, you know, good chance he's not back next year. Uh, it, it, Najee Harris, plug him in right there. This is a win now team. Uh, you know that window is closing. Add a player like Najee Harris in the first round, and just uh, I, I think that'd be just another boost to that offense. I also like Green Bay picking up Davian Nixon, the defensive yep. tackle out of Iowa at 31. I think him being an uh, interior presence for that Green Bay defense would be something really exciting to see. Now, all of the, the, the playoffs shifting and kind of the way that things are going to work out from the playoffs will change these picks around. But I, I like what you, you had going there, uh, Dane, whenever it comes to some of these late-round guys. Even Joseph Asai, the edge rusher out of Texas, going to Baltimore, that's scary yeah. too. I think seeing him with the Ravens would be something very entertaining. Okay, let's step aside. When we come back, Twitter on the 20, are the Cowboys looking at a specific type of defender now with Dan Quinn in the mix? And what does that defender look like when we return here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show? There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why SLR pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Grisol for freedom from glare three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. Since 1865, Stetson hats are American-made with pride right here in Texas. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Want to show your Texas and team pride, too? You can by purchasing your own Stetson, you can look just like how the flag guys do on field at every home game. Stetson Hats, the official crown of all self-respecting Cowboys and your favorite football team. Get yours today at shop.dallascowboys.com or at stetson.com. I'm Jay Novacek, former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards, and that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys. Dear, it's 1908. Don't you think we should get electricity? Hmm, and stop using candles to see at night. It's just electricity lights up the room fast. It's more reliable than candles blowing out, and people seem to love it nationwide. Well, candles are... Dear, did you just run into the wall? Nope. May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. May not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Back here with the second segment of the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. 104 days until the NFL Draft on April 29, 2021 in Cleveland. And it's time now for some Twitter on the 20. Twitter on the 20. 
Of course, Chris Beam always doing great work back there at the Star in Frisco. We're going to start things off with you, Jeff. I want Jeff Cavanaugh to take the stage here with this early question, and this comes from Shane. Shane says, what are the type of defenders that Dan Quinn, new defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, might be looking at in this upcoming draft, specifically at linebacker and the cornerback spot after all the first-rounders are gone? But I kind of want to throw the first round in there, too, because we talked about a little bit of Patrick Sertan a little bit ago with KT, but what kind of specific players are uh, we looking to throw into that cover three scheme with Dan Quinn? Well, I think you just you mentioned it. If you're picturing the Dan Quinn uh, Seattle, then you're talking about four down linemen. You're talking about a lot of cover three. You're talking about a free safety who can cover a ton of ground and fix mistakes there on the back end. Uh, but I don't think that's very much different than what they would have been looking for anyway. Like the entire league is looking for a free safety that can get sideline to sideline and cover ground. The entire league is looking for corners that are long and can run and can play the ball. So I actually don't think, I mean, I guess it's technically different than if it were Mike Nolan and you might have been looking for something a little bit different. But I don't think it's all that different than what you might have been looking for if, say, Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard were still here. You'd love to find a free safety. You'd love to find a corner that's uh, tall, long, fast, and can play the ball in the air. Um, linebacker, I think your two might be on the roster. But uh, defensive line, you're probably looking for guys that are capable of playing the run on the way to rushing the passer as opposed to just shooting gaps. But that's just top of my head what I think that uh, – that's what I think of when I think of Dan Quinn defenses is those things. KT? Well, yeah, and I, th I think it was very interesting – and I didn't know this to find out that Dan Quinn had quite a bit more say in Atlanta from a personnel standpoint than just going and being the the head coach. Um, that was that was kind of enlightening because I didn't you know, I didn't know that. To find out that he had more say, you take a look back at his draft history. This might make Jeff excited, some Cowboys fans excited. Just a few things that he's done. I, I think back to 2018 in the third round, he took Deidrean Sanat. A big defensive tackles. That tells you in the third round he's not he wasn't scared to spend a premium pick. And I know it's not just him making the calls, right? But he had a big say in personnel in Atlanta. So the investment in a one technique defensive tackle uh, might be something. He did try to take a lot of you know long cornerbacks, Isaiah Oliver in twenty eighteen. Um, you know, Jalen Collins back in his first year in twenty fifteen, and that was the year that they drafted both Vic Beasley and um, Grady Jarrett, who's an all-pro, of course. Mm -hmm. But, like, he, they spent a lot of resources on defense uh, in his time there in Atlanta and just for some reason, you just weren't able to get that defense to be, you know, uh, one of the upper-tier defenses in the league. And that's a little frustrating and maybe a little concerning when you look at it, but, you know, players make this happen, not coaches. And that's, I think, the most important thing to think about is, like, the players just got to be good. I, I, really, I really feel better about Donovan Wilson's role here now, if your plan is to do a lot of cover three. And again, we don't know. Dan Quinn may be making some sneaky adjustments, but if you're going to play a lot of cover three, getting a lot of safety up near the line of scrimmage, I feel much better about Donovan Wilson's prospects as a starter on this team moving forward. Dan? Yeah, you know, I, I think that something that we've learned, um, you know, the last five, seven years is the Cowboys front office how willing they've been to uh, draft specifically for uh, the attitude of the coaches and what exactly they're looking for. Whether, you know, and that hasn't always worked out, you know, talking about, um, you know, a Taco Charlton or uh, the defensive tackle from UCF uh, who has been so irrelevant, I already forgot his name. Tristan um, you know, Hill? Yes, Tristan Hill. Uh, you know, it, obviously, they that hasn't worked out, but the Cowboys front office has been very willing to, uh, you know, address the needs that best fit the scheme and what the coaches want. And I think when you look at this class, uh, linebacker, there's some, a, some really intriguing mid-round, uh, you know, linebackers that I think fit what uh, Coach Quinn wants to do. Um, you know, one guy just down the road at TCU, Garrett Wallow, uh, number 30. Uh, you know, you, you turn on the TCU tape to watch the safeties, 
But there's number 30 just running around uh, like his head's cut off, just you know hitting dudes. Very very active player. It uh, you know sometimes that leads to over pursuit and being too aggressive. But you love that active play style. Tony Fields at West Virginia is another one who a little undersized, but he can run, and that you're looking for that speed. So um, you know I, I've done you know I've talked with uh, Coach Quinn before, and I've really enjoyed our talks because he. He's a coach that gets it. Um, he's a he's a thinking type of coach. Um, you know, one thing that really stood out to me, um, you know, when I talked to him before, has been uh, his understanding of what wins on offense, uh, and, and you know, trying to limit that. And the biggest thing are explosive plays. He understands that how to try what you have to do to try to stop those explosive plays, and that's what you have to do to win on defense in today's NFL. So I, I think it's a great hire, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that will manifest itself on the draft. That's something you have to do successfully as a defensive coordinator is understand the offensive game and how it's evolved. And I think that might be one of the big knocks against Dan Quinn uh, during his time in Atlanta was the fact that, hey, he came from a defensive scheme and then, hey, he figured out how to play a little bit of offense with Matt Ryan and company as the head coach and then he tried to take the defense back over and didn't have any success. That's one of my big worries is how can he find a way to get back to that Seattle form of thinking and that Seattle success of adjusting with the, the modern offense and adjusting with these mobile quarterbacks that he's going to have to deal with more so now than he had maybe back in 2012 and 2013. So that's something that I think we'll have to look for and maybe go into the personnel that he ends up selecting whenever he does get his first shot at it. Okay, so the second question comes from Randall. He says, what would be one scenario in the first round that would elicit a pin throw moment, KT? Where would you just chuck that pin if blank ended up happening uh, uh, in April. I, I think I know the player that Jeff is going to say. I could <laughs> be wrong. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go away from that here. Um, I if, for me it would be if you, they just did something out of this world and did like uh, maybe they reached for uh, Darisaw or maybe they reached for Vera Tucker from U- USC or something like that. I'm, I'm sa- again, I'm saving this for Jeff because I, I'm going to give him the player that I think he's going to mention. But that would be the pin throw moment I think for me is if they reached for someone who was maybe the third, fourth, fifth player at their position in the draft. When you're picking at ten and it's right there in front of you, you don't have to do anything crazy. Take, take the good player. That, that would a, a taco like situation, if you will. That would be the pin throw moment for me. I, I'll say this at 10, it's really hard to screw it up. Uh, you could screw it up if you picked Gregory Rousseau. That would be yeah, so a good teammate. Yeah. Miami defensive end, he can't play. He's not good. He had 18 sacks, and he's not good. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's my guy. That's my guy. Dane's going to mock him in the top half of the first round. So is everybody else. Everybody's going to tell me he's so long and he's so athletic and you're going to watch him on tape just light up in the middle and run around a guard. And guards in the NFL aren't going to let you do that. And he doesn't win from the outside. And I don't know how athletic he is. He's just a tall dude that accidentally got a bunch of sacks. You don't want Gregory Rousseau in the first round. I, I like him a little bit more than that. But, I mean, I, I do agree with you. He's, you know, uh, being a little bit overrated as a – top half of round one type of guy um i when you look at it there's probably only you know one position uh that would be drafted ahead of the cowboys that you know that would you know they're not going to take and that's wide receiver um you know i don't think they're gonna draft a quarterback but even a quarterback you would like to see there at number 10 for those trade possibilities like kt mentioned so you know if you see three wide receivers go off the board in the first nine picks that's that you know. Uh, that's the fake pen throw because you know you uh, you feel good that you're not taking receiver there. Every other position could be on the board for them. Gregory Rousseau, six foot five, two hundred and sixty pounds, and and Dane, you had a mock to fourteenth to Minnesota. So just four picks behind the Cowboys to Minnesota in your mock draft the other day. Do you? And you said he's a little bit overrated for maybe a top half of the draft, but whenever you look at a guy like Rousseau, and I know we'll probably talk about him on multiple occasions, especially after he probably goes and lights up the combine, but is it more so just the prospect and the, the potential of that frame and that athleticism rather than maybe the tape that he already put out in college, even though there was production? Yeah, and here's the thing is when you factor in his journey, uh, he was a wide receiver in high school. 
and he moved to defensive end as a senior. Uh, as a redshirt freshman, uh, had all this production, and then didn't play this past year as a redshirt sophomore. So you think his ceiling is going to be so much more, uh, and that's really where it's going to get interesting with the projection of a guy like Gregory Rousseau. So um, uh, it, it's it, it's definitely some risk involved, a lot of risk. Um, I understand why some are going to be intrigued, but the top half of round one, that's that's pretty rich to take a, a player like that, in my opinion. It's, it's a little different because this player did not line up inside like Gregory Rousseau did. But kind of measurable-wise, a little Leonard Floyd, who went seventh, uh, a few years ago, and the Cowboys actually did have interest in. A guy who struggled early in the league and has kind of put it together as he's become a veteran. That's the whole thing, is a guy who had a, a year off in 2020, like, how do I know that he's going to play lower, play more consistently with his hands, uh, and not just win based on his physical traits? How do I know that? That's difficult. I guess you're, you're rolling the dice if you're taking him at 10. That is just kind of out of this world rolling the dice. But there will be guys who are in love with him. There will be teams who are in love with him. Leonard Floyd could turn the corner. He was a good athlete. Yeah, yeah, Leonard exactly. Floyd could dip the corner. Yeah. Rousseau can't do that. Rousseau is a linear, weird player that's just tall and long. <laughs> that's all he is. You're right. And I, I just brought that comparison from a measurable standpoint. Uh, thin, tall, you know, they're around the same weight. I think Floyd is a little bit about 10, 15 pounds lighter than Rousseau. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, just where they were taken, though, the Cowboys the Cowboys liked Leonard Floyd. If you're to believe that Peter King article that came out where Peter King was in the war room that night in 2016, if you'll remember. The biggest thing that I think you worry about with a guy like Rousseau is there's some there's some similarities with him and Taco uh, in terms of what Jeff is saying about being long and linear and not fully understanding how to use his his skill set and there, there's a little bit of that now Rousseau is a little freakier um, and I, his ceiling's a little higher but that that that's where the, the little bit of worry starts to creep in uh, Dane just buried Russo in the minds of every Cowboys yeah. fan uh, that has ever <clears throat> listened to the draft show because of comparing anybody compared to Taco Charlton is ultimately going to end up uh, <laughs> writing them off and, and taking them off the draft board. Okay, final question before we move on. Our friend Birdie on Twitter says, how do these uh, potential first-round corners compared to the previous year's first-round corners in terms of their early grades. Now, of course, none of the grades are complete right now at this point in the draft process, but, Dane, when you look at kind of this year compared to past years, where do you have these corners slotted in with guys like Patrick Sertan and, of course, uh, Caleb Farley and, and some of those top prospects? Yeah, It's so tough to do this because it's hard to eliminate what we know about these corners at the NFL level. You know, it's hard to eliminate... Uh, the year that Okuda had and C.J. Henderson and A.J. Terrell and all these guys. Um, I think Farley and Sertan would probably be, uh, if they were in last year's draft, uh, fighting with C.J. Henderson to be cornerback two behind Okuda. So right there in that top ten conversation, uh, you know, I think they're better prospects than you know AJ Terrell um, and some of the corners that were drafted after that. So you know it's it, it could be tough to do this type of exercise, but I, I do think that they'd be still in that top ten conversation, fighting out to be the second corner drafted. Does that intrigue you, KT? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, like Dave said, it's very difficult, and, I, and for me. Um, Maybe I'm losing my mind already. Some of the years run together. I just pulled up my 2017 draft board, and it was really Lattimore and everyone else. And Tredavious White's turned out to be the best quarterback of that group right there. I had a first-run grade on him. Um, but I can't tell you that I, I think I'd have a higher grade on based on my film study, a higher grade on Farley and Sertan than I did on Tredavious White. Um, but I'm also a guy who liked Tease Tabor, so kill me, you know? So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a little harsh. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I, well. uh, I, I agree. I think if I don't even have all the names in front of me right now, but if you go back like when Denzel Ward was coming out or Marshawn Lattimore or Jalen Ramsey, last year Jeff Okuda, uh, all of those guys I would have ahead of where you have Sertan and Farley. And, yeah, those guys would be, it would be, okay, C.J. Henderson versus Sertan. And they would be very different, 
and it would be very close, and I might have Henderson ahead. But yeah, that's you know what. Each year, I think there's been a guy that I would think is a close to elite corner prospect, and I wouldn't have Sertan or Farley ahead of any of those guys. I, I think you could make some pretty close comparisons between Farley and C.J. Henderson. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they, you yeah. know, g- good-sized athletes, uh, you know, good speed. Their, you know, discipline is something that needs uh, to be improved. But I, I think they're pretty similar players. Yeah, I don't see either one of these guys classified, like Jeff said, as an elite cornerback prospect. They're both really, really good, and they deserve to be in the top 15 conversation. But I think overall, when you look at kind of the film study between guys like a a Denzel Ward in the past or a Jeff Okuda last year, I know those are both Ohio State guys, but still, it's not necessarily that same level, even a Lattimore back in the past. Uh, Those guys that continue to, to be elite prospects after coming out of school, I don't see Farley or Sir tan up to that level but cj henderson i like what you kind of uh threw out there uh dane whenever it comes to those two guys at least whenever it comes to farley as the comparison there but that's going to do it for twitter on the 20 this week when we come back we're going to hit the second round of dane's mock draft and hey the cowboys might go safety a little bit earlier than they have in almost two decades we'll talk about it next on the dallascowboys.com draft show we're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds. It's new Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. Let's take a listen. Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda's here. A new combo that's music to my ears, okay. Let's play. Cream Soda and Dr. Pepper time. Pour it in a glass of ice. Ah, music to my ears and mouth. New Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. A delicious duet. There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Essilor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Crizol for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. The Cowboys way, where 16 Hall of Famers and five championships shows us what success looks like. Where turkey is always the second best part of Thanksgiving Day. Where we are all defined by one single thing, the star. Where we as fans know it's our job to keep the tradition going. Bank of America is proud to be the official bank of the Dallas Cowboys and to support the quest of living life the Cowboys way. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Dear, it's 1908. Don't you think we should get electricity? Hmm, and stop using candles to see at night. It's just electricity lights up the room fast. It's more reliable than candles blowing out, and people seem to love it nationwide. Well, candles are... Dear, did you just run into the wall? Nope. May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. May not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Final segment here at the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show, Thursday edition with the great Jeff Cavanaugh, Dane Brugler, Kevin K.T. Turner, and myself, Kyle Yeomans. And glad you've been with us. Thanks again to all of those who sent in their Twitter on the 20 questions. And we're going to go into the second round mock draft here from Dane Brugler and The Athletic and kind of talk about what he had for the Cowboys at 44. Now, There was a bit of a run of edge rushers right before the Cowboys selecting at 44. So uh, three three edge rushers taken from 40 through 43 right before that Dallas pick. And Dallas ends up taking TCU... Free safety, Trayvon Morig, uh, a guy who I know, Jeff, you're very high on, but you're not even uh, as high on him as maybe even his teammate in uh, Darius Washington. But overall, what did you think about the pick, Mr. Cavanaugh, and, and kind of where the Cowboys went here in the second round? The highest they would have picked the safety since 2002. Uh, that works for me. I think Morig is a... Uh... I think he's a he's a really good prospect. I think he's one of the top two safeties in this draft. You alluded to it. I actually prefer his five foot eight teammate. Uh, I think I think our Darius Washington's only weakness is that he's five foot eight. 
and uh, I think he's got. I think he's a quicker reactor. I think he's got better instincts. I think he's a better man and zone coverage guy than his own teammate. But there's something good about being six one, six two, over two hundred pounds, and being a good safety prospect. That'll probably get him picked before Washington. But yeah, you nailed it. I like our Darius Washington. He's my guy. I like my tiny guy. Dane, did the fact that there was a bit of an uh, an edge rusher run right at the top of the forties kind of deter you away from the Cowboys maybe making a pick like an edge rusher there? Well, you know, I think the Cowboys obviously, if, especially if they go offensive line in the first round, um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say they're going defense in the second round and. Edge rusher, defensive tackle, linebacker, corner, safety. I mean, they could go any of those positions, right? So it really opens it up to going with the best player available there on defense. And when you look at it, I thought I'd be going corner uh, just because that looks like uh, could be a need area, especially for a starter. But with no safeties drafted up to that point, and you know uh, Xavier Woods, you know we we, we all love the pick uh, with the value that we got with Woods, but safe to say I, I don't think he's the future of that position for the Cowboys. Uh, you know, a chance to go get the top free safety in the draft that that's certainly appealing uh, with Morig. And you know, you you alluded to it. I was. I was Kind of surprised. Uh, this would be the highest that they draft since Roy Williams, that draft the position. Um, so you have to wonder how much of a philosophy is it. We know this team does not believe in drafting nose tackles early, which I agree with. I get. Uh, do they have a, uh, you know, a tendency to look at safety the same way? Uh, you know, just their drafting history would say maybe. Uh, and so, you know, would they consider a safety at this point? Even, you know, Byron Jones, uh, he was a first-rounder, played plenty at, at safety, even though I think they drafted him to be a corner. So, you know, we have to look at it, and they have plenty of opportunities for a corner, for a safety here. Uh, edge rusher that you mentioned, there was a little bit of a run uh, on the first few picks ahead of it. Maybe that's a direction they go. So I, if they go offensive line, they, they've got a lot of different avenues they could uh, explore in that second round. That's where it gets fun is because Dane did it on a mock draft. You can now question everything Dane did. And just like we do after uh, real drafts and even looking at drafts from the history, you go, who could they have gotten after that? Should they have done this? And about two picks later in Dane's mock draft at pick 46, he's got New England taking Levi on uh, the DT from Washington, who I would have, you know, if we're just uh, ranking him here, I would have him graded higher than Morig. Um, and I don't dislike Morig. I don't have a safety graded in the top two rounds yet this year. Still working, you know, uh, t- and hoping that someone does pop up there. But this year, a little different. So, for me, I'm fine with the pick there, though. I, I like what Dane did. I like the idea of the team actually taking the position seriously. Mm-hmm. But at pick 44, just looking at who went afterwards on, in this scenario in Dane's mock draft, I would be going in another direction. I think this team has to address defensive tackle. Um, I think they, uh, you know, I think it's a big leap of faith to go Antoine Woods, Tristan Hill, Neville Gallimore, Justin Hamilton. You're my guys. Go get it. You know, and they'll try to do some things in free agency and all that stuff. But uh, that's kind of the uh, the direction I'd be looking in this scenario. And uh, you know, just because we're talking about these things on the draft show, I wanted to pick a different player too. No, I feel that, and I, I'm right there with you. I love what Dane's thinking here with the combination, especially if you go yeah. offense in the first in the first round with an offensive tackle. I love the pairing of Bowrig playing that free safety and allowing Donovan Wilson to play the strong and kind of a bruiser role in Dan Quinn's defense. I would love that, and I think it would be a great pairing between the two. Now, the one question I did have, Dane, is the fact that there were no corners, uh, like you said. You could have gone corner there, but that's still a position that has not been addressed in the first two rounds. I know Farley, Sertan's off the board. J.C. Horn from South Carolina is not there anymore. Uh, I know Tyson Campbell from Georgia was off the board, and so was Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. But why did you go with safety rather than corner in the secondary? Was it just the fact of a better prospect there, or is there just not as much safety or excuse me corner depth that would intrigue the Cowboys to maybe spend the top? two-round pick on? No, I mean, I think there's enough corners. I think I had nine total corners going in the first two rounds, which is Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I I think there will be corners there that they'll consider. Uh, One name to keep an eye on uh, that I think could be in the mix for the Cowboys based off of what they do, uh, uh, Ifatu Milifonwu. Uh, Casey, I know you've looked at him out of Syracuse. Uh, Jeff, not sure if you have yet. 
uh, just a, you know, we know about his older brother, Obi, when he blew up the combine out of UConn uh, a couple years years ago. He's still floating around the league. Uh, Melo Fonwu, he's, he's a big-framed corner who is twitchy. Uh, he's fluid. He's got length. He's got speed. Um, I, I think he's more reactive than instinctive. But when you have those traits, uh, you know you can. He's got that loose muscle twitch. He can accelerate on command. Um, you know the, the instinctive part of the game is still catching up in terms of his route recognition, finding the football, those types of things. But there's a lot to work with with Melifonwu, and I think that he could be in play there with uh, with the Cowboys' second uh, pick there. And I think keep in mind that the Cowboys met with his brother when he was a free agent after he had been released. And maybe they met with him in the draft as well. I don't know if he was one of the visits going back. I don't know how much time they spent with him. But when he was uh, a free agent looking for a job, the Cowboys brought him in for a visit. And I remember the feedback that I had heard. And um, it was kind of just whispers that were getting around in media circles. Was kind of like, yeah, it just feels like his brother Obi just doesn't care about football as much as you know we'd like. Um, so you might have to, you know, there might be some questions that you asked about about that with this kid. But I hate saying that about a kid I don't even know, right? I, but that was a thing with his brother, and I think that's that's important to know. Um, there are times when you watch the Syracuse tape, I, I like it when when the action's on. I like it. There are times when run play to the opposite side of the field. You know when the wide receiver in a spread offense just kind of takes a playoff? Where he's kind of with the wide receiver over there, and he's kind of taking the playoff too. But it's not like concerning. It's just like, okay, there's a run play to the complete other side of the field, and he's just kind of mailing it in a few times. Just notice that a couple times. Nothing to mm-hmm. nothing to go, oh, freak out about. But, <laughs> man, you start putting one and two together with, oh, I heard some things about his brother. And it's like, well, no, he's a different human than his brother, so don't. Okay, but I still have to think about that things, and those are stuff that scouts are going to do. You know, they're going to ask those questions. So um, I think that's that's something I'm going to be watching for with with Melifon was, you know, how he interviews with teams and things like that. But his tape's good, man. His tape's great. KT, that's one of the things I love about you and your draft process. And, and Dane, you do this quite a bit as well, of course, in, in all of your work. But you, you look really into the person. And I know last year we had a couple of guys like that where you were saying, oh, off the field issues and maybe there's a, a character or maybe even a drive sort of deal. And I think that's very important because that's exactly what teams are looking at. That's what front offices are, are searching after. And, and you kind of get the background on it. Now, Jeff, whenever it comes to the Cowboys not taking a linebacker, defensive tackle, or corner in the first two rounds instead going with the safety going with an offensive tackle i know there are a lot of holes but those are three really really big holes on that defense that aren't addressed how much does that worry you uh i think the best teams know that there are multiple avenues to improving your team so like in this scenario in dane's mock if you have rashawn slater as the best player available at number 10 you pick him if you get to the second round and your best player available is Trevon Morig, then you pick him because that's also a position in need for this team. And then you just have to figure it out. I mean, that's that's and they'll do this in free agency before the draft. They will sign a corner. They will probably sign a safety. They will sign a D tackle. They'll be capable of playing football without the draft. And then hopefully you can pick your best players and you can make it work. I mean, it's it's just, look, this team, no matter what they go in the first two rounds, if you don't talk about what they're going to do in free agency or what they're going to do after or trades, they can't fix this defense. This defense needs at least one corner, at least one safety, at least one D tackle. I'd think about a linebacker, and you probably need to double dip at one or two of those spots. So it, it doesn't even matter which routes they go. You cannot fix or make a great defense out of this roster in one draft. Can't do it. KT? No, no, Jeff's right. It's like, it's just not going to happen. We all want them to go all defense, or, or a lot of Cowboy fans, I think, want them to go all defense. Yeah, and it's just. Carolina. And it's also, we always forget about, like, not forget about it, but, like, we're doing the draft show, so we're talking about the draft. What this team does in free agency is going to be important to their plan. They can't strike out in free agency like they did last year. That just can't happen. Uh, and I know some of that's freak bad luck with Gerald McCoy. That just can't happen, and and I think that's something that we'll ha- all have our eyes on because uh, hey, it's it's our job. We're following the team here. <laughs> Dane. Yeah, I, I think 
you, you, there's only so much you can do through the draft. Uh, you know, they they have a few extra picks on day or you know after the first two rounds, so you know you can address some of those. And it will be interesting what they do in free agency. That will shape what they do in the draft. It'll be also interesting to see how their board shapes up. So if they feel like they can get a linebacker later on, then that's going to shape how they look at linebacker in the first two rounds. Um, if you can get a Garrett Wallow in the fourth round and they feel really good about that, then maybe that you know they don't really strongly consider a linebacker uh, in the first two rounds. Uh, but maybe they don't find that linebacker. And Zayvon Collins is uh, you know a guy that I've brought up before as a guy I know they really like. Uh, so it's and you know I think with Zayvon Collins he you know you talk about that Seattle defense. Okay, plug him in. He's your KJ Wright, and you feel good about that. So. It, there are just so many different directions they can go, and I mean, to to the other points mentioned, free agency will certainly shape that. Hey, I'm glad you mentioned KJ Wright. KJ Wright, uh, also Bruce Irvin, and also Richard Sherman, all free agents. Just uh, throwing wow. that out there. Just Dan, make, you want to make it the Legion of Boom 2.0 down here in Dallas? Just kind of the Lone Star back. Legion of Boom. Ooh, I like that. Dan. Oh, I like we should, that. We yeah. that. That sounds pretty. The Legion good. Lone of Star Boomers, because they're old. Oh, okay. that's good. Kinda right. now, that's even more so. I like that. The Legion hey, of Boomers coming to Arlington. <laughs> this is fantastic. If you're 35 and still clinging on to an NFL career, come on down to Dallas. Come on, Gerald McCoy. Come on, everybody. Let's get a part of it. Forget the draft. Let's just sign everybody in free agency. All right, that'll do it for us here on the DallasCowboys.com draft show. Once again, all these guys back Thursdays, 10 a.m. Central Time on DallasCowboys.com and the various streaming websites. Dane, Bucky, and or excuse me, uh, Brian, Bucky, and David Hellman will be back on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. as well. But for Jeff Cavanaugh, for Kevin Turner, and for Dane Brugler, I'm Kyle Yeoman saying so long. Thanks for joining us here on The Draft Show. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!